And good morning, church. Have we, have we released the children? They're gone. They're gone. All right. Sweet. Uh, my name is Justin, one of the, the pastors here at Peninsula Grace. It's good to see you. I see we've got a solid rock contingency this morning. Represent. See, two of you are excited to be here. That's awesome. Um, no, we're, we're glad to have you. And uh, we, you know, Ross and I, Pastor Ross and I, were out of state last week. We were in Indiana for our church's national conference uh, with the other churches from around the fellowship. And we took the greatest step of faith imaginable. Uh, we let our youth pastor take the pulpit. And, uh, you know, he did great. It was awesome. We heard him on the podcast, and uh, I, I, he was able to preach on his most passionate subject, uh, the, the correct pronunciation of Reese's. So that was, that was, that was good. <laughs> but Daniel was great. It was great. Daniel walked us through the praise psalms, and this week we're going to be looking at the, the, the law psalms. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Psalm 119 today. Uh, how many of you would consider yourself uh, a rule follower? How many of you would say, I, I want to follow the rules, I like the rules. If, if I was to present you, I said, Peninsula Grace, we have a new rule here. Uh, some of you would instinctively, instantly say, I'm going to break that rule. I don't even know what it is, but I'm going to break it, right? So some of you would say, you don't tell me what to do, period. That, that Romans 7 rebel in your heart that says the very act of you telling me what to do is going to make me not want to do it. I could tell you, do not dance like a ballerina. And maybe your heart has never had such an inclination, but all of a sudden, you just want to pirouette, right? That's all you want to do, you sinner. Um, we, but even a rule follower, excuse me, others of you do like to do as you're told, right? All my, all my type A's in the house. Uh, and, and whatever that might be, maybe sometimes we, we like doing, we like following the rules. Uh, it's a people-pleasing tendency. Uh, maybe it's just that we, in a world like philosopher Olaf says, uh, we call this controlling what you can when things feel out of control. Right? And maybe that's you in, in your life. There are some things you want to control, and so we're going to try to follow the rules. But even to a rule follower, even to a rule follower, today's psalmist seems to take it to another level. Look at what the psalmist says in, in 119. Verse 47, he says, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, what kind of a weirdo says, I love rules? Like, how many of you, when you pull up your phone for the first time and you see those terms and conditions in the iPhone, just say, yes, you must be 13 or older to have this thing. Praise the good Lord. That, that, we, that we have to follow these terms. That we cannot use them for commercial purposes. Ah. Apple, you've just swept me off my feet all over again. My heart is to obey the laws of Steve Jobs, right? Like, is that, no, that would be a weird thing to do. We, we not only that, but the, the psalmist, it, it almost appears as though they have their priorities out of whack. Like, I thought, he says, I, I love your law. Like, I thought well, this was about a relationship with God, not just about rules. Is this, is this legalism? Is this Pharisee stuff? Uh, what about, uh, what even application would this have for us today? Aren't we, we're living in a, in a New Testament world, right? We're not under law, we're now under grace. And, and so maybe this was great for the people of Israel, but what about for us today as, as the church? We have a lot of questions to bring to Psalm 119 this morning. We, we want to look at this. We're, we've been walking through this summer, we've called this the summer in Psalm Springs, and we're looking at different categories of the Psalms, and the heart has been, how do we read these kinds of Psalms? Psalms of lament, or as Danny walked us through last week, Psalms of praise. 
well, how do we read these psalms on our own? And so we've been looking through these different lenses of the psalms categories. Now, this is our last week in this series. Next week, we're going to take a transition as we launch into a fall series about the promises of God in, in the Bible. Now, we don't know the author of Psalm 119. We're not told. But we do know that by far it's the longest chapter in the Bible. If you ever opened it, you just keep turning those pages. 176 verses. In fact, not only is it the longest book in the, in the Psalms, it's the longest book in the Bible. It's longer than some of the other books of the Bible itself. And so one of the questions we ask here is, why did God choose this to be the longest chapter in, in the Bible? A chapter devoted to basically saying over and over and over again, I love God's law. It seems like a weird thing to subject, to make the longest chapter of the Bible um, about. Well, we start by saying, what, what does the psalmist actually mean when he uses this word law? There, there are actually eight different words, depending on your translation, eight different word, Hebrew words that he uses as synonyms for the word law here. And it's not so much like eight separate categories. It's almost more like different shades of the same color or maybe different facets of the same diamond. So just a brief overlook at these words that he uses. The first one is the word law. Uh, 25 times he uses the Hebrew word Torah, which just means instructions. So that word can be as, as broad as any instruction that God gives, and it can also be more narrow. It can mean the whole Old Testament, your 39 uh, Old Testament books. It can even mean more narrowly the Pentateuch, five books, the first five books of the Bible. Or it can mean the Torah of Moses, the 613 commands that God gave to Israel in his specific covenant with them. And so there's different contexts that the word Torah can be used for. We also see him use the word testimonies 23 times. This is referring to things that God has spoken to us. And so when someone gives their testimony, they're speaking uh, the, the story um, as they've walked with the Lord. The third one is word or waste. 24 times we see this is just any word, anything spoken from, from God. Uh, statutes, number four, uh, that means to engrave. So it's basically saying this is set in stone. That God says this is how reality works. So even the, the law of gravity, some of the physical laws that we see, were set in stone in motion by God himself. Uh, precepts, 21 times. This is a covenant. We're going to look at this word a lot this fall in our series on God's promises. Two parties are into this uh, covenant, but there's one party, that's God, that will set the terms of that covenant. And then the word commandments, uh, anything that God has ordered to be done, a command, right? And then uh, rules, this is more in the courtroom context, a legal case or a decision. We're saying God is the supreme judge, so he ultimately decides what is right and just and, and true. And then finally, the word can be translated either word or promise 19 times, and that's referring to things that are spoken or commanded by God, and specifically, of course, things that have been promised. So we see here, when you read this, we don't just automatically put in the category of, oh, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, or he's talking about the 613 rules with Israel. It zooms back out, and it's anything that God has revealed that he has spoken to us. I love verse 55 in the, in the New Living. It says, I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. He's ultimately not reflecting on a list of rules. I love the terms and conditions. He is meditating on the person of God himself. And just like physical creation, Psalm 19, not 119, but 19, says that the stars declare, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, right? They, the, the physical creation shows us 
God's character. It shows us about who our God is. He says the same thing is true of his spoken word, the written word about our God. That ultimately it reveals God's character, his nature to us. And so the psalmist isn't simply describing his devotion and love to the law, but to whom the law points to, the one to, that, that the law reveals. And that is worth writing the longest chapter of the Bible about. And so still the question might be, why the redundancies? Like, why do you have to say, take 176 verses to basically say over and over and over again, I love your law and I want to obey your law. Let's save some papyrus plant and just wrap it up, right? We don't need 176 verses for that. Well, I see Psalm 119 here, not, not just being super long, but being intentionally long. In fact, I believe it is intentionally the exact length that it is. And, and this is what... I mean by that. So the, the, the psalm is broken into 22 stanzas or, or kind of groups of verses. Each stanza has eight verses. Now the unique thing we've mentioned before, Danny mentioned it last week in Psalm 145, this is an acrostic. But it's an acrostic not just by line but by stanza. And here's what we mean. So here you don't have to be able to read this, but just to kind of give you an idea, these are the 22 stanzas in Hebrew of Psalm 119. Now they read from right to left. So if you look in the would begin. It's, it's, it's the heading, and maybe in your Bible, it's it has this in, in your version as well, it says Aleph. And Aleph is the Hebrew letter A, like their equivalent of A, it's their first letter. And what you see in that stanza over on the right, you can see those little circles. The first letter of each line in Aleph's stanza is starting with a letter A. And so this is how it's grouped. Each of their 22 verses in their alphabet is represented in each one of those stanzas. And each one of those stanzas' lines all start with that letter. So if we were, I took the liberty of translating, uh, this is the Justin International Standard translation, but this is going to be what it would look like if we did this with English. So verse 1, they would be saying, amply blessed are those who obey, God, uh, are those who obey. Verse 2, always seeking his heart results in, the joy, in joy for those who walk according to his ways. Asked us to obey your rules you have. This actually works better in Yoda's voice. <laughs> Ask us to obey your rules you have. Uh, verse 5, ah, that I would keep your law. So what they're doing is there's a couple reasons that the psalmist constructs it this way. The first one we see is that it helps us memorize. If you're filling your blanks. Uh, to help us memorize. Remember... The, the, the people um, of, of Israel did not have copies of, of the Torah on hand, most of the nation's history. So they passed this along orally. They would have to tell and, and speak and sing these psalms over and over and over again. So just like we have devices, like when we use a liter, uh, acronyms, like every good boy does find or remember the notes on the scale, they'll do the same thing with, with this psalm. It makes it easier to remem remember it because it's alphabetized. It also helps us to show the completeness. And in a lot of ways, what the psalmist is trying to communicate is the subject that he's dealing with is being dealt with from A to Z. Or from Aleph to Tov would be how they would say it in Hebrew. And, and so what he wants to show is I'm covering the, the, the whole, a totality. A, there's a completeness to what he's talking about here. So why is it so long and why does it seem to be so redundant? It's because of its theme. The theme of Psalm 119 that I see is that it's a complete, wholehearted delight in God and his word. The psalmist says, let me show you. 
how much I delight in my God. Not just by what I say about him, but by how much I say about him. All day long, from A to Z, it's, it's complete. This is a poem that's structured in such a way to, to reflect the way that we should structure our lives around the word of God. I love the way C.S. Lewis talks about Psalm 119. He says that its, its language is that of a man who is ravished by God's moral beauty. Ravished by the beauty of God as revealed in his commandments to us. So I see two central ideas in this uh, poem that I, that I want us to look at today and reflect on in the way that we will structure our lives as those who follow Jesus. So the first one here that I see, oh, there you go, A to Z. The first one is I love to obey your word. The concept that I love to obey your word. So first of all, I love. Um, like the very first psalm, our first week, we looked at Psalm chapter 1. Uh, psalm 119 starts very, very similar to chapter 1 by saying that those who follow God's ways are blessed, are joyful, are happy. Look at Psalm uh, 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Those who follow after God are going to find themselves joyful, happy, and blessed. So imagine for a moment that you bought a lottery ticket, just for, just for funsies. And let's say you got a call, and it turns out that you have been privileged to win the Soldatna lottery. The grand prize has been a good tourist season of a billion dollars. Who knew that we were doing that well? Uh, and, and what would that moment feel like? like? If you got that call and say, you have now inherited a billion dollars, like would you calmly go, hmm, I am blessed. <laughs> would that be your, no, you are hanging from the chandeliers, you are spiking pillows, you're shaking your dog, we just won the lottery! <laughs> you would, the, the, the psalmist is saying, more valuable to me than hitting the literal jackpot is the law of my God. Verse 72, he said, oh, here's a very excited lady to win the lottery. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So think about what he's saying here. He says, all the gold and silver to me is not worth what God's, worth, God's law is worth to me. So if someone came up to me and looked at me and then looked over at Jill, said, how much for the wife? W would there be a price that I'd be like, yeah, now you can take her away? I would hope not. I, the right answer is no, right? The right answer is the right answer is no. The right answer is no. No. All the money, the people that are closest to us, you can't put a price on a human soul. And in the same way, David is saying, there, the psalmist, excuse me, the psalmist is saying, there is no price that you could that you could show me that would be worth more, more valuable than, than God's law. He says it 10 times. He says, the law is, is my delight. Like in verse 14, in, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. He says, I, I'm having a part. The, the word here for delight is festivity. I'm having a party. I'm celebrating over God. 11 times he says, I love your law. And he talks about the way that he, he craves it in verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. It's been well documented that I love Sour Patch Kids. He says, even sweeter than the sweetest thing that could satisfy its sweet tooth is your law. But what's interesting here, he's describing not just an outward compliance. Like, I know God is smarter than me, and so whatever he tells me to do, I should do. It's not just an outward compliance, but what we see in Psalm 119 is an inner delight. Like, it's his joy 
to, to do what God says, to hear his word and, and, to, and to do it. And, and again, it's, he loves to what? To obey. I love to obey your word. And isn't that, doesn't that, again, seem a little weird? Like that it's his delight more than honey or all the riches on planet earth to, to obey God's law. In fact, not only does he say it's his joy to obey God, he actually says it's freedom. Verse 45, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Now when I first read that, I'm going, it's for, wait a second, it's freedom to obey? And this girl kind of summarizes my feelings on that, on that concept. So we, we say, wait a second, wouldn't we almost by definition say that that's not freedom? Like freedom isn't doing what somebody else tells you to do and you have no choice. That sounds more like slavery than freedom. Our concept of freedom is autonomy, meaning we, we rule, we're on the throne, we do what we want to do, but that's not the biblical definition of freedom. Freedom and obe obedience runs counter to our culture, and, and so because of that, it's, it's helpful. Tim Keller, Tim Keller gave a, a helpful analogy. He said, look, I'm free to put anything I want in my gas tank, but my car will only run as the manufacturer designed it to run if I put the right thing in the gas tank. A friend of mine found out a hard way a couple, couple weeks ago. He accidentally had a lapse of judgment and forgot and put gasoline into his diesel truck. And he was talking to me on the phone waiting for the tow truck to arrive because of said mistake. So T Tim Keller, he concludes this way. He says, freedom is finding the right restrictions. Freedom is finding the right restrictions. And at first, that, that seems like a contradiction to us. But you imagine a fish. So a fish is free to go wherever it wants. It can climb a tree. It can be a couch potato fish. But it is only free to live and breathe and swim as it was designed to when it finds the right restrictions, when it keeps itself in water as created. So when I got to college, I finally found myself free from the tyrannical grip of my mother and father. Right? I could do whatever I want. In the words of Braveheart, I found freedom! I show up to my dorm room and I get things rolling. I said, no one's here to tell me about these, these balanced diets. I can eat whatever food I want to eat. And no one's getting me up in the morning and making sure I go to school. I can skip class if I want to. No one's telling me to go to bed at night. I can stay up as late as, as, I, as I'd like. And no one's telling me to do my laundry, right? It was, it was a rough semester. Uh, no one told me to do my homework. And I found, I discovered this little thing that you call natural consequences. And over time, I found if I want to be able to get that degree that I've paid a lot of money to get, if I don't want to develop uh, diabetes at a young age, right? There are some life changes. There are some right restrictions that, that I need to, to walk in, that there's a better way. And so freedom isn't us ruling ourselves. It's actually, freedom is the ability to be who God has created us to be. Now, how do we know how to be the person he's called us to be, how to do the thing he's called us to do? Well, he, he shows us, he, he gives us the path of freedom in his word. He tells us, this is the path. This is what you put in the tank. This is where you swim. He reveals that to us in his law. And, and with, a, with the right gas in the tank and, and, and swimming in water, we learn that God's ways are better than our ways, are higher than our ways, and that's the only path that leads to fullness of joy and, and blessing. 
Oh, and the, and the cool thing is here that God's word is not just a revealing of, of like a list of rules. When God shows us his word, what he's actually revealing to us is his very nature. That his word, that his, his commandments to the people of Israel, he said, here's, here's the way you're supposed to live in front of the other nations. This wasn't just arbitrary or random. This was who he was. God and his word is revealing to us who he is, his character and his nature. And therefore, as image bearers of that God, his word is also revealing who we are. The image that we have been designed to bear. The people that we've been created to be. And then the stuff about the gas and the, and the fish. So two things that we, that we see, I see in, in Psalm 119 as far as this is concerned. Number one, obedience to God frees from sin's dominion. It frees from sin's dominion. I get this from one, uh, verse 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. And let no iniquity, it's a word for, for sin, uh, let no iniquity get dominion over me, be a master over me. So again, this contradictory idea that we might think, well, freedom is walking my own path. Freedom is doing what I want to do. When it says, no, 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 no. If you follow, and you can do that. You, you are free to walk your own path. But the irony is that when we think we're free, we walk on our own path, that's actually bondage. <laughs> bondage to sin. That's actually the road that leads to destruction. And, and, and what we need, we can, we can be that defiant fish sitting on the couch, but there's only one path that leads to life. The second thing that we see here is that obedience to God frees us to a greater wisdom and vision than our own. A greater wisdom and vision than our own. So uh, our, our uh, small group a couple weeks ago hiked up Carter Lake. And the first you know, mile or so, you're hiking in the woods, there's trees all around you. But then you come around this corner and it opens up. And it's just this gorgeous panorama of mountains and flower fields and, 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 and glass-like lakes. It's gorgeous. And what we see is, is something greater than what we saw when we were down on tree level, right? And, and God says in his word, he, he says here in verse 45, he says, uh, And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. But I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. These words that he uses, it's, it's the word for liberal or, or free. He says, there is a wisdom that we have on our own. And on our own, what is our wisdom? It's pretty foolish, isn't it? There is a vision that we can have from our limited human perspective. But he says, when I, when I hear God's word, when I discover real wisdom and real vision from God's point of view, then it is so much more freeing and beautiful and expansive than anything else you can imagine. And so what we see here is, is that the path that God has called us to leads to real freedom and expansiveness and joy. Again, it can be the fish in the sea and the, the car zooming down the road with a full tank of gas. So first of all, we see a love to obey God's word. But the second thing the psalmist wants to show us in 119 is that I need you to teach me your word. I need you to teach me your word. So first of all, I need there's a gasping urgency that we hear in, in this psalm. And in Psalm 131, he says, I open my mouth and I pant. Because I long for your commandments. He says, I'm panting. I remember when we were, uh, when I was in high school uh, in basketball, we would run lines because our coach liked to torture us when we did bad things. And so we're running line after line after line. At the end of it, I'm exhausted. I'm crawling toward the sideline looking for my water bottle. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to stop drinking water again. Like, I need this water. I, I must have it. And it's the same urgency, this is the same panting and gasping that the psalmist says he has for God's word. And I see two reasons that he, he needs it. He, first of all, he needs it as a salmon. 
He needs it as a salmon. If you read through Psalm 119, you see that he's constantly swimming against a current and it's heading in a dangerous direction, right? That what we see is people all around him who are trying to get him to reverse course. Verse 85 says, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your word. The wicked, verse 110, have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. 150, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. They're people who are attacking him. Physical enemies, people who are mocking him, saying, what are you doing that way, fool? Why are you going that way? And, and what we see is in our life, our world too, just like the psalmist, is full of snares and traps. Lies from the enemy that, that are trying to get us to, to redirect. The bombardment of, of, of competing narratives in the, the culture all around us and the entertainment that we absorb constantly. Telling us lies and trying to get us to, to turn around. He's experiencing this need as a, as, a, as a salmon, but also as a sinner. It's not just evil outside, it's evil inside too. The last verse of this long psalm, he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. I love that line. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. He says, I know your commandments, but man, I find myself walking away from them. We can relate with that, right? I believe. Help my unbelief. And what he finds himself at the end of the psalm is as a sinner, as, as a sheep whose heart, we sang it earlier, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the, the God I love. He needs a shepherd who will seek him, who will find him when he's lost and, and put him back on the right path to lead him, protect him, and guide him. He says, I need you to teach me need to be instructed, and that's what he says next, to teach. And, and it's interesting, there's a, there are a lot of phrases that he uses for this idea of I need to be taught. Here's a couple of them. He says, guard my way, protect me, right? There's bears on this, on, this, on this trail. Make me understand. Be my counsel. I need you to counsel me. Give me wisdom. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Teach me good judgment. Help me to learn. Make me wiser. I love the one that says that your law gives me more understanding than my teachers. So kids, you guys can use that at school. Uh, if you can tell, I'm smarter than you because I read my Bible. See how that works with your teacher and let me know. Uh, and, and, and then, and it makes me more, it gives me more understanding than the age. Keep steady my, my steps. So there are two major categories I see in this psalm that, that, teach, that show us uh, what the instruction looks like Two word pictures. The first one is light. The first one's light, so this will work out. This is this illustration. Uh, how many of you have been to the hay maze at Solid Rock? Uh, I know some of you only come in the summers, right? Uh, but the, in the fall time, uh, we have that little, that hay maze, not, not little, that hay maze in the barn, right? Now, now, how many of you like that maze? How many of you hate that maze with the passion of that? Okay, there we go. Uh, we... You can feel like a fool, right? Like you're going through there and you're running into dead ends and, and creepy solid rock staffers that are scaring you, like all sorts of, of problems. You guys are great. I love you. We don't know where we're going, right? We're lost, right? We're, we're, our way is dark. And what, what Psalm 130 says is the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts simple to the, to, to the it imparts understanding to the simple. There we go. So those cheaters that go through there with their cell phone flashlight, sinners, they can see that light shows them what's ahead. I see the dead end. 
I see the, the, the scary Solid Rock member clad in, in Carhartts and flannels, right? I see, I, see what's, I see what's ahead. They're gonna rise up and kill me after the service. And, and I know that I shouldn't go that way. The light of God's word gives us sight. It helps us see, but it also gives us insight, right? When the lights come on, I see what's ahead, and it might redirect me. It's not just turning on the lights, but it's, it's showing which way we should go. And this is what he says God's word does, Psalm 104. Though through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. God's word shows us, it shines a light on what's coming up ahead. And it helps us see things that we couldn't see on our own. We didn't see that that we were going to be hurtling off the edge of a cliff. We didn't see the dead end. We didn't see the snare waiting ahead for us. And I love that he says, I hate those ways. This psalm is doing more than just trying to give us information. We know we're supposed to obey God and go his way, but our heart still disobeys him, doesn't it? This psalm is trying to get at our desire, not just our head knowledge. And so what we see, this leads to probably the psalm's most famous verse, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, my path. It shows us the direction ahead, which way is right, which way is not. But the other picture he uses here in Psalm 119 is not just that it is light, but it is life. It is life. You remember clear back at the beginning of the Bible when God is creating mankind. It says in Genesis 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And what happened? The man became a living creature. Before God breathed into Adam, he was just a hunk of dust. And what can dust do? Nothing, right? It could just be dusty, just sit there. So you could, you could give that dust the lamp and show it the right path. You could tell that dust what to do and where to go, but it can't do anything if it has not been animated, given life. And this is what he says in verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. The psalmist knows that even if he knows the right path ahead, he does not have the power without the very life of God in him to do what he's been called to do. He says this in verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Just like Adam And just like this psalmist, we are born separated from God. We're like that dust that is unable to walk the right path with him. And even if I can see the path ahead, like most of the time we know what we're supposed to be doing, I find myself a a spiritual quadriplegic. Like I know the Bible says to, to love other people, but I always find me making it about myself. I know the Bible says worship God and praise him at all times, and yet I find myself doubting him, running the other direction, putting myself on the throne of my own life. The problem is that our spiritual gas tank, we we can see the light ahead. We know the path a lot of times, and yet the gas tank is empty. The beautiful thing, though, is that our God knows this about us. Psalm 103, the psalmist says it this way, he knows our frame. God knows our weakness. He knows our sin. He remembers that we are dust. He's not giving us an impossible standard and and then delusional that we could keep it on our own as sinners. And that's why, as always, the text that we're looking at today, man, you know who it points us to. It sends us to Jesus. 
And, and we see here in Psalm 119 two things about, that I think lead us to Jesus. The first one is that Jesus is the only human who ever perfectly lived out this, this Psalm 119, always doing what God told him to do. Verse 44, Jesus is the only one that could actually say this and not be a liar. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Jesus is the only one that can say, verse 69, with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Not only did he keep God's word outwardly, he went to Sabbath, you know, he, he observed the Sabbath and he didn't murder people. Jesus also kept the law inwardly, that he, that he delighted in obeying God, that, that he wanted to do what God said. He trusted his God and his, his Father and, and his way for him. So not only does, is Jesus the only one who kept Psalm 119, but the second thing we see that Jesus' life here on earth is actually the fullest expression possible of God's law. It's the fullest expression possible of God's law. Let me explain what I mean by that. But before, Hebrews 1 says it this way, that in the beginning, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors. How? Through the prophets. The word prophet means messenger. And the job of the, the prophets was to tell the people what God had said to them. They were the, they were the, the conduit. It's, Thus saith the Lord. And his character and his nature and his plan and his purposes were revealed through the prophets. But they were pointing to a better way and a better word. Verse 2. It says, and now in these final days he has spoken to us through his son. And listen. Jesus was not just another prophet speaking God's word. Jesus was and is the living word of God himself. Amen? We would say it this way. The, the, if the purpose of the law is to reveal God's character, we see in the Old Testament God reveals himself through the commandments. If you read the commandments, you actually you capture the heart of God's character and nature. He speaks through the prophets. He also speaks through his mighty acts of parting the Red Sea and raining bread down from the sky. He shows his love and his power, his eternal nature in physical creation and in his spoken word. But now here in these last times, he has shown us a fuller and, and indeed the fullest expression of who he is by the very word becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us right here on earth. John 1 says, no one has ever seen God, God's spirit. We, we can't look at a picture of him or, or see him in, in the flesh because he doesn't have flesh. But the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So if we want to know what our God looks like, if we want to we know who he is and, and, and therefore how we are to be as his image bearers, then we look no farther than the Gospels. That what we see in this story is God and his love on full display as our God heals the sick and he lifts up those who are bent and broken. As he calls the little ones on his lap, doesn't drive them away. As he's willing to stand up and say the hard thing to the hypocrites. And as he surrenders his life to the will of his father all the way to the greatest expression of God and his love for us, the cross itself. But this is important. Jesus wasn't just simply a model of how to obey God. Like if that's all it was, like a, like a really good object lesson. Look at Jesus, follow his example. And we know that would leave us all coming up short, right? Jesus wasn't just a model. And listen, and, and don't throw stones at me just yet. It wasn't just that he died for our sins and paid for our disobedience. Now that is part of the gospel. 
Yes and amen that Jesus died for my disobedience, that I did not delight to do God's word. But that's not the full gospel. Because he didn't stay on the cross, did he? And he didn't stay in the grave, did he? My Jesus, three days later, rose from the dead and is alive today. And here's one of the reasons that matters so much. Because that Jesus, who is alive, he now comes to those who are spiritually dust, unable to obey God, and he fills our lungs with his very life and love, which allows us, gives us the ability to obey our God, not just on the outside, drink, smoke, chew, don't hang out with girls that do, but to actually from the heart desire and trust our God and his revealed way. To delight in God and his word, to be free and to obey. It's only possible through Jesus. So what does obedience from the heart look like? I'll give you an example. Take marriage. So the world, the world has a word about marriage. And it wants to tell us lies. It wants to tell us both. It will say, you find your fulfillment in that person. This is the rom-com lie of, of you find the right person. You'll always have the cute little jokes that are just perfectly timed. And at the very end of your hour and a half relationship, you go off into the sunset happy forever and ever. Right? Or, you know what? If that person doesn't work out for you, put them on the shelf and find someone else. And that we'll just continue, do whatever you want. You be you and chase love with whomever and however you want to. But don't let anybody put boundaries on what it means to love. Love is love is love is love. And that's what our world would say. But God in his word, he says, if you want to find the truly blessed path, true joy, he says it's to restrict yourself to this one person for the rest of your life. And do not find your joy in them, but find it in me. And that runs, that runs counter to everything, all the lies, the traps that are being laid all around us. The world would say that's not freedom, that's slavery. But freedom is finding the right restrictions. True freedom is to die to myself and to live for my bride. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He died to himself to give life to his bride. And for us to learn what Jesus knew, God, I trust you in whatever you're calling me to do. And so I love to obey your word that I trust that a life of self-sacrifice and contentment in Jesus is going to be the better, truer, freer path than living for myself in momentary pleasure and gratification. But God, I need you to teach me to do that. I don't know what that looks like daily to die to myself. I, I don't, not only do I not know how to do it, I don't have the desire. I, I know my heart is prone to wander. My eye is prone to wander. Give my dust your life. We do the same thing as the church. We restrict ourselves to one another as his bride. And that we lay down our lives so that the world will know that Jesus came to die for them. And so that his body will grow in Christ's likeness. It's been a hard year with the pandemic. Been a lot of division. And Satan's been having a heyday at trying to divide the church, distract the church, keep us from being the church, a light to the world and salt on this earth. 
And it's been easy to get sucked into the lie just to do what I want to do, what's best for me, and to ignore the commands. And again, I'm not just talking about outward conformity of make sure you're in church every Sunday or check the list, but to actually desire to give myself, and I'll tell you, the things as small as on a, on, a, on a Monday night when it's home group time. I got home, the Olympics are on, right? I've got a lot of things that I'd rather do. It's sunny outside. When I show up to, to, to our group and, and think about other people, get outside of myself, pray for them. You know, I, I actually find a better path, a more joyful path as we laugh together, eat together, live life together. We give up our, our, our own comforts and rights so that others uh, might be loved and pointed to Jesus. Psalm 119 is this kind of like this enormous garden. And, and we're walking through 176 verses of, of gardens. Imagine the enormity. Remember C.S. Lewis said we're to be ravished by the beauty of God in this garden. Now maybe that analogy doesn't work for you. So imagine going into a liquidation sales at Cabela's. Just be ravished by the beauty of discount bear spray or whatever. I don't know, whatever gets you going. Be, be ravished by the beauty, the enormity of what Psalm 119 is trying to convey to us. That there is a complete and wholehearted delight available to us. But it will only be found in God and his word. What he has revealed to us about ourselves and about him. You pray with me. Father God, I know there's some people in this room today that, that might find themselves like somebody lost in the woods, where they don't know where they're supposed to be going. They've lost the trail, maybe never knew where the trail was, that they don't have the sure footing. They're not sure where, where the right path is forward. Lord, I, just, I pray that you would shine the light of your word in their life and that they would find that sure-footed path that leads them to the fullness of joy. Maybe there's somebody here today that does know the right path, but like Peter, they're being called out of the boat to walk on the water. And those oceans are rising like we sang about. And it's hard to actually trust your heart because the thing that you're calling them into sure looks a lot harder or more restrictive than, than the way that their heart is prone to go. Father, we don't just need to be shown the path forward. We need the very risen spirit of Jesus in us to give us the power to bear the fruit, to be the kind of people that you've called us to be and to fulfill the purposes that you've given to us here on this planet. Father, I pray that we would do this as your body, as, as your sheep, with one good shepherd. Give us the light and the life of Jesus. We thank you that we have him fully. We receive this. We walk forward in the beautiful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.